So before I went on holidays in August through the latter part of June and into July, I was asking people that go to church this simple question. What is the gospel? And I got just about as many different responses as people I asked. If there was any one common response, it would have been this, that the gospel is Jesus died on the cross for my sins so I can go to heaven when I die. Now, I don't mean to pop your balloon. Actually, I do mean to pop your balloon. The main purpose of Jesus dying on the cross was not so you can go to heaven. And some of you are going, what? What is the gospel then? That's the question I want to answer this morning. Because I think it is foundational to what we want to see happen this year. What is the gospel? And a helpful way to look at the gospel is to look at the gospel within the overarching story the Bible tells. And I've talked about the overarching story the Bible tells several times, but we're going to talk about it again this morning because I think we have to if we want to answer the question, what is the gospel? And the overarching story the Bible tells has six chapters. Creation, corruption, covenant, Christ, call new creation. In chapter one of the overarching story, God creates. It says in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the entire cosmos, everything. And human beings were the crown of his creation, created in his image for relationship. We were created for a relationship with God. We were created for a relationship with ourselves. We were created as whole, complete people. No hang-ups, no dysfunction. We are created to have loving, harmonious relationships with others. And we were created for a relationship with creation. It says in, in Genesis, we were created to steward creation. And in Genesis 1.31, it says this, God saw all he had made, and it was very good. In chapter 2 of the overarching story, sin corrupts. Adam and Eve were created with freedom of choice. If you want to have authentic relationship, you have to have choice on whether to be in relationship or not. Otherwise, it's not real relationship. And so Adam and Eve were created with the, the freedom to choose. They could choose to enjoy God's loving presence, or they could choose to chart their own course. And it was that freedom of choice that Satan exploited. He tempted Eve with the lie that, that God could not be trusted, and so they needed to take matters into their own hands. And tragically, Adam and Eve believed the lie, and they chose to disobey God and, and go their own way. And that choice changed everything. It opened the floodgates to all kinds of evil, not just for them, but for all of humanity. And today, we're still living with the reality and the consequences of that choice. 
We were created to have a life-giving relationship with God. But the reality is, unless you know Jesus, your relationship with God is, is fractured, it's broken. We were created to be whole, complete people. And while every one of us is still created in the image of God, that image is deeply, deeply marred by sin. We were created to have loving, harmonious relationships with other people, but the reality is we live in a world of racism and sexism and slavery and justice, oppression. And every single one of us in this room knows the pain and the heartache of a fractured human relationship. And we were created to steward creation well, but as you look down through human history, you can see we haven't done that. We've exploited, not stewarded creation. Sin has corrupted all of God's creation. Chapter one, God creates and it's very good. Chapter two, everything is corrupted by sin. And then we come to chapter three and chapter three is a turning point. In chapter 3 of this overarching story, God sets out to restore what he had made. And he does that by covenant. The story of the fall explains how the relationships we were created for were broken. The relationships God called very good came crashing down at the fall. The rest of scripture takes us on a journey towards redemption and restoration. God's goal when it comes to redemption and restoration, listen, is the restoration of all creation. Sometimes we think that in Christian world that Christianity is just about God and people. It's not. It's about all of creation. God wants to restore everything. Peter says in Acts 3.21, he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to what? Restore everything as he promised long ago by his holy prophets. Paul in Colossians 1.19 writes about the scope of God's redemptive work. He says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Everything has been corrupted by sin. Thus, everything needs to be restored, and God's plan is to reconcile and restore all things. And so, in the Old Testament, God initiated his redemptive plan by entering into a covenant, and a covenant is a, is a binding agreement. And he entered into a covenant, a binding agreement with Abraham. And God promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation and he would give that nation land and he would bless that nation so that through that nation, God could bless other nations. Then at Mount Sinai, God made a covenant with all the Israelites, all the Jewish people. God chose a ragtag group of people to be his special people to live under his rulership and reign. And through their walk with him, the plan was other nations would be drawn to God. 
And put simply and kind of as a generalization, the rest of the Old Testament narrates how faithful or unfaithful the Israelites were to those covenants. And when you come to the end of the Old Testament, the Israelites were waiting. They were waiting for the Messiah to come and bring liberation and restoration. They were not waiting for a Messiah to come and forgive their sins and take their souls to heaven when they died. They were waiting for the Messiah to come and restore Israel to its rightful place. And then we come to chapter 4 in this overarching story where we have part two of God's redemptive plan. Onto the scene steps a young Jewish boy named Jesus who announced that God's kingdom had come in him. Mark 1, 14 and 15 says this. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus spoke more about the kingdom of God than anything else. His central theme, his primary message was the kingdom of God was breaking in. His words, his miracles, his teaching all demonstrated and announced that God's kingdom was now at hand. The good news Jesus proclaimed, the gospel, and gospel literally, the word gospel means good news. The gospel, the good news that Jesus proclaimed was that the kingdom of God has come to earth and through him, people can become part of it. The kingdom the Jewish people had been waiting for was here. Life in God's presence and power was now available to ordinary people. Jesus came as a, the kingdom bringer, the liberator, the long-awaited Messiah. But he was not the kind of king or Messiah the Jewish people were waiting for. Again, remember, they were waiting for a Messiah to come and expel the Romans and, and restore Israel. Jesus was a wandering rabbi who taught that as the kingdom of God broke in, it would be good news to the full poor. It would bring healing to the brokenhearted and liberty to the captives and sight to the blind and freedom to the oppressed. And even though Jesus was a wandering rabbi, his words, his actions were so revolutionary, so challenging to the religious establishment, so threatening to the political powers of the day, that they executed him. They hung him on a cross. Jesus died as a political rebel a rival king. Romans didn't execute Jesus because he was trying to start a, a new religion. Jesus was arrested and crucified because the powers of religion and the powers of the empire colluded together to take out a threat. The powers and principalities of the day intended his crucifixion on the cross to be a moment of humiliation but it was actually a moment of exaltation. There on that cross, the creator chose to have his only son bear all the sin of the world upon himself. 
Sin of the past, sin of the present, sin of the future. It was all put upon him as he hung on the cross. Jesus died as an atoning sacrifice for humanity's sin. And after he died on that cross, he was buried in a tomb. And then three days later, he arose. And when Jesus arose from the dead, he conquered the power of sin and death. In Genesis 3, death won and sin won and separation won, or so it seemed. But then Jesus rose from the grave and sin lost and death lost and separation lost. And the risen Jesus appeared to his followers before he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And as he ascended, he was raised above all authority. And when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, he was enthroned. And today Jesus is sitting on the throne of his kingdom. He's alive and he is the king of kings. We don't make Jesus Lord by asking him to be our personal savior. God the Father made Jesus Lord and King. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the great high priest, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Redeemer, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when we come to the cross, we experience forgiveness. Every human being is deeply marred by sin. And every human being needs to come to the cross and experience the forgiveness of the cross. When we come to the cross, we experience forgiveness. And when we come to the cross, we also experience eternal life. Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what is eternal life. Many people think eternal life is something that happens after you die. I don't think there's a clearer definition in the Bible of eternal life than John 17, 3. It says this. This is eternal life. Here it is. Here's your definition. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God the Father and his son Jesus. And, And the word know there in the Greek in which the New Testament was written means knowing, like to know somebody in relationship, right? Like I say, I know Sylvia. I know her well. I know her. We're in relationship. And that's what we're talking about with the word know here. Know means to have a relationship with. Eternal life is life with God. Eternal life is experiencing a restored relationship with God. It's life with God, under God's care, experiencing God's power. And it's life that starts now and goes into eternity. 
It's not something that happens after you die. Eternal life is life with God. It's relationship with God. And that can happen now. You can begin to experience eternal life now. And then that carries on after you die. When we come to the cross, we experience forgiveness for sins. We experience eternal life. We can experience life with God. And when we come to the cross, we're also transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. It says in Colossians 1.13 this, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. When you come to the cross, you enter the kingdom. Another way to say this is you can picture it this way. As you come to the cross, the cross is a doorway into God's kingdom. When you come to the cross, <coughs> excuse me, you enter his kingdom. And in his kingdom, you are given a new identity. When you come to the cross and you enter his kingdom, you're given a new identity. You're no longer considered a sinner. You're now considered a saint. You're now considered a beloved son of daughter of God. You're now considered a servant of the most high God. You have a new identity. And when you come into the kingdom, you not only experience forgiveness for sin, but, and we often forget this, we have access to the same power, the Bible says, that raised Jesus from the dead, meaning you can live a kingdom-empowered life. We're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks. And when you enter the kingdom, you're called to a whole new way of life. A life that is lived under Jesus' kingship, under his reign, under his rulership. This is all life-giving good news. And it is so much more than just going to heaven when you die. Salvation isn't about relocation. It's about transformation. Salvation isn't about relocation. It's about transformation. And the problem in North America today is because of our individualistic, self-centered, consumeristic culture, we've created a gospel that is too small, too self-centered, too tame, and too weak. The gospel today has been reduced to simply getting people to pray a certain kind of prayer so they can go to heaven after they die. And the problem with that is this. Jesus never said, pray a prayer and acknowledge some truths about me and I'll let you into heaven when you die. The gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel that led to the martyrdom of most of those first 12 disciples was not pray a prayer and go to heaven kind of gospel. It was not a gospel of just sin management. The gospel was and is far grander and more life-changing and more costly and more compelling than just going to heaven. The gospel, the good news that Jesus proclaimed was this. Here it is. That the kingdom of God had come through him. And because of his life and death and resurrection, we as human beings can now live in his kingdom and experience eternal life. We can experience life with the living God. 
which includes forgiveness, which includes going to heaven when you die, but includes so much more. Again, the cross is a doorway into his kingdom. And we come to the cross and we enter his kingdom by doing three things. Three things. And it's not just praying a prayer and then going on living life as normal. That is not what's involved here. We come to the cross and we enter the kingdom by doing three things. Here they are. Turn, believe, say yes. Turn, believe, say yes. We come to the cross and we enter the kingdom by turning. And and the word turning, what I'm talking about here, is repenting. Again, Mark 1.15 says this. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The word repent simply means this, to turn around, to switch allegiances, to go in a different direction, to think differently. Jesus wants people to turn around. They're walking away from him. Jesus says, I want you to turn around. I want you to repent, and I want you to walk towards me. I want you to walk towards the cross rather than away from the cross. The Bible tells us we're on a wrong path. We're heading in the wrong direction. We're heading away from God. To repent again is to turn around and head in a new direction, to head towards God, to walk towards the cross rather than away from the cross. True repentance is to turn around and realize that Jesus is king. Secondly, we come to the cross, we enter the kingdom when we believe in him. When we believe in him. Now, we think of belief differently than the Bible does. For us, the word believe often means just giving mental assent to a bunch of facts about Jesus. But in the Bible, when we say, when we see the word believe, believe means to put your trust in. Jesus is calling us to trust in him. Not just believe some facts about him, but to trust in him. I've used this illustration before, so forgive me if you've heard it before, but people find it helpful. When Eric was just a little guy, my oldest son was just a little guy, we we went to a uh, hotel in Penticton in the summer, and the hotel had a diving board. And Eric wanted to go off the diving board. So we put a life jacket on him, and he went to the diving board, and he walked to the end of the diving board. And then I swam out to the deep end of the pool, and I'm there, and I look at him, and I say, okay, Eric, jump. Now, what we think of belief is Eric standing at the end of the diving board and saying, yeah, I believe Dad could catch me, right? He thinks, yeah, factually, Dad probably catch me if I jumped off the board. Here's how the Bible talks about belief. It talks about trusting And trusting is Eric jumping off the diving board and me catching him, which I did, by the way. But that's trusting. Trusting is not standing there saying, yeah, I think that could happen. No, trusting is jumping off the diving board and letting Dad catch him. Trusting Jesus is saying, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. And that involves action. I trust what you say is true, so I'm going to live by it. Because I trust you. Now, nobody figures this all out perfectly, right? We're all on a journey. But it's trusting. 
It's not just believing and giving assent to a bunch of facts. It's trusting. It's jumping off the diving board. Then there's a third thing we need to do if we want to come to the cross and enter the kingdom. And it's, we need to say this, Jesus is Lord. Look at Romans 10, 9, powerful verse. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe, trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is Lord. Those three words change everything. Because if you think about it, those three words are words of surrender. When I say Jesus is Lord, you know what that means? I'm not. When I say Jesus is King, you know what? That means I'm not. Everything becomes new and different when we declare that Jesus is Lord. Because in doing so, we're giving ourselves up to him. We're giving control of our lives to him. We're saying, Jesus, you're the king, you're the Lord, not me. We're then submitting ourselves to his authority and his kingship and his lordship and his rulership. And a lot of this is missing today in this watered-down view of the gospel. Just pray a prayer and go on living however you want. You can still have other things as the Lord of your life. Not true. Let's go back to what you read a few minutes ago in Mark 10. Mark 10, a really rich little young man. I don't know if he's little. But a young man comes up to Jesus who's got money, and he says to Jesus, he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's eternal life? Okay, I'm going to go and preach the whole sermon again. Try it again one more time. Somebody, please. What's eternal life? Life with God. Thank you for those that were listening. Eternal life is life with God. Life with God. All right? Eternal life. Life with God. Jesus, the young man says, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to have a life with God? Let me reread what we read earlier. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared. All these things I've kept since I was a boy. Don't you wish he was your son? I mean, really, wow. Now, I love this, love this, look at this. It's so good. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. Here's what I want you to know this morning. Jesus is looking at you right now. He's looking at me right now, and he loves you. Loves me. I want you to know that this morning. No matter where you are in life, no matter where you are in life, Jesus is looking at you, and he loves you. And then Jesus said this, one thing you lack, just one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then you will have life with God, and then come follow me. Then come follow me. Notice Jesus didn't say, just pray a prayer. He didn't say, acknowledge some facts about me and then you'll get into heaven when you die. Rather, he tells this young man, 
If you want to experience eternal life, if you want to have life with God, if you want to follow me, then what he's really saying here is, son, you need to dethrone money and enthrone me. You need to take money off the throne of your life and you need to put me, Jesus, on the throne of your life. Do do you need to do that today? Do, Do you need to turn from walking away to the cross and turn to the cross? Do you need to trust? Do you need to take something, maybe yourself or something else, off the throne of your life? and put Jesus on the throne of your life? You're not going to have it all instantly worked out. That's the beginning of the journey. But it's a heart that's saying, God, I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want to obey your ways. When you do that, you come to the cross, and you enter the kingdom. It says in Luke 19.10 this, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus came on a a rescue mission. He came to rescue this world. He came to restore all things. He came to redeem us. He came to herald a whole new way of living that is meant to change the world. That is God's gift of grace to us. Our response is to offer our lives to him and follow him. And this year here at at, at SBC, we want to launch the Victoria Dream Center. We want to, as I said earlier, have at least one person in each of our realms of influence come to follow Jesus. And for that to happen, we need to be, first of all, walking humbly with him. And you start walking with Jesus by coming to the cross and entering his kingdom, by repenting, by turning by trusting and acknowledging that he is your savior and your Lord and your king. Do you need to do that today? Do you need to begin your journey with Jesus today? Maybe you came in here this morning and you were walking away from the cross and right now the Holy Spirit's tapping you and saying, time for you to turn. Time for you to turn to the cross Time for you to dethrone whatever else is in your life and put me on the throne. Time for you to trust me. When you do that, you come to the cross. You enter his kingdom. You begin a journey that will change your life. Do you need to turn from a rebellious heart today? Do you need to turn, dethrone, and trust. Here's what we're going to do this morning as we close. I want us to, I'm going to pray for you. And after I pray for you, we're going to have like 90 seconds, a couple minutes of silence. And I just want you to listen to the Holy Spirit speak to your life. And maybe you need to speak to God. Maybe you need to, in a heartfelt way, just quietly, you and God say, God, I I want to turn around. I want to walk towards you rather than away from you. I want to trust you. I want to enthrone you. And so I just want to give you an opportunity to quietly respond to God as God speaks to you. So I'm going to pray. Then we're just going to have 90 seconds of silence. 
Uh, Maybe they'll play music. Maybe they won't. But whatever, it doesn't matter. This is between you and God. This is between you and God. I want you to listen. I want you to respond. Do you need to turn and trust and enthrone? Let me pray for you. And then we'll have a couple of minutes of silence. And then I'll pray. And then we'll sing a closing song. Father, thank you for today. And right now I know, God, you're at work in this room. Your Holy Spirit is alive and present right here, right now, and you are talking to people. And so in this time of silence, I pray we'll listen. There are people in this room who need to turn, trust, and enthrone. May we be responsive to you in this moment as your Holy Spirit moves amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you. In these moments, we can listen and respond. God, I just pray as we begin the journey of a new ministry year, that we will begin, all of us will begin, by enthroning you and trusting you and walking with you throughout all our days. In Jesus' name, amen.